tuning into the Attack Release Show. My name is Matt. I always do the intro, and then Sam always does housekeeping, as we just discussed. That's correct. So we just discussed that I do the intro, Sam does housekeeping, because I don't want to do housekeeping. Housekeeping. Today's episode. Man, yep. y'all are in for a treat. Y'all already clicked on this one. Y'all are like hook, line, and sinker going, mm. going into this one. God. We're going to be talking about the difference between tubes and solid state. If you should go the tube route, if you should do the solid state route. Tubas. Um, we might get into some emulations. We might get into some real tube talking. We might get into a little bit of compression. Mm. Might get into a little bit of history. Mm. We might just talk about plumbing the whole time and just completely just... This is like an episode for April 1st. That'd be hilarious. We just talk about all like the random crap we know about plumbing. Clines. Get yourself some good clines. Yeah. Oh, Those like are... the the tools? Yeah, the tools. Clines. They're so comfy. I know. You can't do plumbing without Klein pliers. It's also like one of the best screwdrivers. You yeah. got like, what, six? No, four bits in one? Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, so great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not so April Fool's, we're talking about plumbing. <laughs> Copper versus PVC versus Ooh. PEX. Yeah. Shark bite. Oh, man. Don't get me started on shark bites. <laughs> I have this, like, plumbing fixture. What's it called? Like a spigot. And Could it's be. where my hose connects outside my garage. <laughs> yep. That's what that is. It's and called, it doesn't uh, have, like, bin. a backflow kind of thing on it. Yeah. And because it's really old. And so every time I turn it off, everything around it, including me, gets like soaking it wet. It shoots off. <laughs> just yeah. like sprays everywhere out of the top. Uh-huh. And every time I keep forgetting that it's like that. And I'm just like, ah, oh, crap. To relieve the pressure. Yeah. That's I don't have one of those. A water hose bib. Yes, a hose bib. Hose bib. So I always call it the spigot. <laughs> when you're from the South, you drink from the spigot. Yeah. When you can't be like yelling out like a. Now go drink from the hose bib. Like, <laughs> Although that you can't sounds, do that. That sounds wildly south, southern too. <laughs> <laughs> go drink from the spigot. What sound like spigot <laughs> or hose bib? Hose bib. Spigot. <laughs> All right, let's get back on topic because this episode is going to be great, and it's actually you're right. Good Plumbing. information. And April first. Want people to here? Listen we to go. It. I have no idea when this is going to air. <laughs> Season five, episode five. We're talking about tubes and the emu- and the plumbing emulations. <laughs> so, Sam, take us into housekeeping. Housekeeping. Hello, hello. <laughs> Everyone's already like signed off the episode. <laughs> no one's listening here. anymore. If you're still with us, congrats, Grad. You've made it. Listener, you thank go. you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us in the Attack and Release Show community during housekeeping right now. We uh, ask that you uh, like, share, subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening to this, you're probably listening to it on an app. If you have not already, subscribe to it, star it, thumbs up it, leave us a comment. Uh, The best thing you can do for us, if you really want to help us out, please, if we need your help, Take a screenshot of the episode that you're listening to right now. Put it on Instagram if you use it. Tag Matt and I, uh, and we will reshare that post. It's called cross-marketing. It's good for everyone. It shares your account. It shares our account. And lets people know who you are and also helps us share the podcast, get further into the podcast universe. Then more people hear it. 
Then our community grows. Then we meet more and more cool people. And uh, that's kind of it. So I just love seeing like who all listens. Yeah. Because like all too. these cool people come out of the woodwork. It's right. Like, Whoa, where'd you come from? That's and then what we I'm have saying, conversations. Every time someone shares it, I'm like, who are you? Let's talk. And then we talk. Yeah. And then I learn something about someone and usually learn something about music. So anyway, I think it's really cool. I think it's fun um, to share. <laughs> as cheesy as that is, it's fun to share. So uh, that's housekeeping today. All nice, right. short, sweet. Thank you, listener, for being here. Love ya. One Matt, listener. Here you go. I wonder if my friend Ellis still listens. I should ask him. Ellis, he would if always you're listen listening, when he was like, Matt, no. That would be, I'll probably send him a text message. He, he's an aircraft mechanic and like for private planes. And he sent me a message the other day that he had a client have him install a cigar lighter in his airplane. Oh, cool. And I was like, that's kind of a bougie upgrade. So that sounds like a private plane thing. <laughs> sounds like a stinky plane, but from one fellow cigar smoker to another, that is a stinky plane, especially the next day, like all stale. Ugh. Yeah. Anywho, tubes. <laughs> Tibs. Do you want to talk about a little history? Sure. You yeah. share what you know. I'll share what I know. And then we'll both just talk about how unprepared we are for all this. Excellent. Okay. Here's Sam's hot take, short take on <laughs> tubes. Hot take, short take. Um, let's see. So obviously we're talking about tubes or solid state. So two different things. If you're, uh, if you don't know, they're uh, basically, we originally started with tubes for like preamplification, basically. So... Uh, we started with tubes like before the 70s because it was kind of our best way of being able to uh, amplify a sound. And then the long and short of it, and I'm going to keep it long and short because there's a lot I want to cover today. Um, basically, in the 70s, they started creating solid state, um, you know, amps and solid state equipment. And basically, there was this massive shift in the 70s to solid state because solid state is traditionally more quiet. So before the 70s, recordings are quite noisy. If you've ever listened to older recordings, they usually have a lot of noise and tubes kind of have a lot of noise. And so once, uh, well, not once, but one of the huge goals of audio people um, was always, how can we reduce the, no the noise floor, basically? Um, and so that has always kind of been a huge pursuit uh, until digital really kicked in, um, which led us back to tubes. But once solid state was created and people were able to basically be like, oh, we can use solid state preamps or solid state whatever, EQs, compressors, these are a lot quieter than tubes in theory. And so we're going to switch over to solid state. So in the 70s, people just started like throwing away their tube gear, to be honest. It's... You can go look this up, but people were giving it away. They didn't want it. It's like old technology, noisy technology in theory that just amplified the noise floor. And solid state became really popular for a while. And then stuff, of, honestly, in my opinion, and it's something that we fight now, is stuff is so sterile and clean with digital and solid state. Um, recordings got too clean, and the no noise floor, in theory, almost is too quiet. And that's kind of a controversial statement, but there is some yummy stuff in noise uh, and in recordings and in harmonics um, that you just don't get in solid state. And so now I feel like in the last, 
well, I don't know, 10 years since digital has become such a big thing, people often talk about like, oh, I just need like, we need to run it through some tubes to like give it some life and make it less sterile. And basically then tubes, the last 10 to 15 years have become really popular again, um, more so than they were because they seem to add, which we'll get into, uh, nice sounding harmonics. And because everything is so quiet now and cleanly recorded, you can get away with uh, using tubes that kind of add a bit of noise to the recording. Not a ton of noise, but it does add something. So that is kind of the hot take, my hot take on the history of tubes versus solid state. We used to use tubes a lot because that's kind of all we had. Then stuff was noisy, so we switched to solid state for a long time, and then stuff got too sterile, and now people are like, we need tubes again. It makes stuff sound not boring and dull. And now we're here, and now we have emulations of tubes and things of that nature. Okay, that's my quick bite-sized history of tubes or solid state without explaining the ins and outs of what they are and how they're different. Okay, so go Matt. Other side of the story. I'm going to go about 100 years earlier. Perfect. Do it. <clears throat> so when Thomas Edison was inventing the light bulb, mm. the reason I know this story is because my other company specializes in light bulbs. like LED, like light bulb solutions and stuff like that. If you don't know my other company, you can look up Emory Allen. I don't really talk about it on here, but... Um, it's another company that I have, and it's why I only do mastering um, in the morning and uh, after work. But this is the reason why I know this story. Also, like my dad, when he was growing up, he grew. He was he's from Detroit, and he worked at it was like Greenfield or Greenville. I think it's Greenfield Village, which is in the museum in in or around Detroit, Michigan. And he used to like drive, like I guess they give like little tiny like tours of the area in Model Ts. And when he was in high school or college, he used to drive the Model Ts around as a job. And then like, like my other like side of the family, like super related to like, not like super related, but like used to like work for the Ford family. It's mm -hmm. so, like my great aunts like used to like be personal secretaries for the Ford family and stuff like that. So there's like a lot of like this like old, like, history and all that stuff. Well, anyway, a lot of the Thomas Edison stuff is also in, like, this whole area of, like, this museum. And so that's kind of how I know a little bit about, like, a lot of the earlier history. Anyway, when Thomas Edison was inventing the light bulb, he had an issue because there was air in the light bulb. And when he... Um, his initial versions were they like they don't really they don't really like having air in there because air uh, causes um, unprotected certain metals to oxidize, and so evacuating the air. I don't know if like actual incandescent bulbs that are not halogen bulbs are in a vacuum anymore. I don't think that they are, but those are also kind of being phased out. Halogens are vacuum bulbs. Um, well, anyway, uh, he was removing the air and trying to find different ways to remove the air from these light bulbs. And he was never really having a lot of success. And he's like, well, there's a few ways to remove air. And another way, in a creative way, is with an explosion. And so he would have, I think it was a little piece of flash paper. Um, or maybe... 
Anyway, as soon as this thing would ignite, it would just kind of leave this piece of metal just as a artifact of the manufacturing process left in the light bulb. And so the air was gone because whenever you burn something, it that burning must have air in order to combust. It's like you need three things to have, let's call it like a fire. And air is a very crucial one of them. And there's a few, like it's like with firefighters, it's how they put out fire. You're like smothering the fire. And so you're kind of like limiting it with air and you're dampening its fuel source as well. And so you're taking away its fuel source. You're kind of cutting off some air in some certain situations as well. And so uh, this little tiny explosion would kind of fizzle out all of the air and it would burn out all the air. Then the explosion would be done. It's not an explosion, but it sounds cool to say that. (laughs) Like I said, there would be this artifact of metal remaining in the light bulb for the life of the light bulb. Well, I don't think any of these ever went into service, but I believe one of Edison's colleagues or helpers, whatever you want to call them, assistants, um, they, they, he was an inventor, so they would all just like tinker with the things that they had. And I think it was by accident, they accidentally wired up this metal piece to an electrical source. I believe it was by accident, but knowing them, it, they were just probably messing around. And they saw this crazy flash and like, uh, they didn't really know how to describe it. I believe this was like in like the 1880s, 1890s as well. Um, and Thomas Edison, being the inventor he is and kind of the guy he's kind of known for being, um, <laughs> even if he didn't know what the heck it did, he would patent it. And he would patent these things, ironically, under his own name. And so he had no idea what the heck this flashing was whenever you energized this piece of metal inside of this vacuum uh, light bulb that he'd made. But you know what? We're going to, just in case it is something, we're going to go ahead and put our name on it that we discovered it first. (laughs) And he called it the Edison effect, which this whole story to me is just absolutely hilarious that he did that. Um, I believe later this technology was kind of rediscovered or not rediscovered or I don't really know how it passed down, but it passed on down to this guy named John Ambrose Fleming. The only way I remember this guy's name is because my brother-in-law has a family member with the last name of Ambrose, and I've always meant to ask him if those two are related. Anyway, um, he's kind of, from what I understand, like he was like an electrical engineer who's credited with the actual invention of the thermonic valve or as we call it, the vacuum tube. And he designed these for radio transmitters, and I believe he did this in the very early 1900s. Um, it was like 1904 or something like that. And and, was, and I, I believe early, early, early radios were used really just by the military. And they were so weak of signal that they needed a way to kind of transmit this information wirelessly and they needed a powerful enough like power source in order to get it there and so um he essentially is the guy who's i believe credited for creating 
um, the first actual working vacuum tube and everything else. <laughs> then as tubes kind of get into computers, I don't really understand how it works. I really want someone to explain it to me because I just know tubes as like power amplifiers. And that's what I believe that they are. I would love to learn more about all this stuff. Um, but that's what I know that that's that's kind of the extent of my knowledge. And then we kind of got into um, more, ironically, solid state pieces. And I believe uh, that got into, was it the, the transistor? Uh-huh. Is what is what came next? I, I got to look this up, and it was like this, like crazy, like germanium-based thing. It's like probably like the size of your hand, and I think that was made by people either at Bell Labs or like Fairchild Labs. And uh, th- then there's this whole like principle that, like, ever since then, they claim that every single year computers will double the amount of transistors in them every like two years. Hmm. And right now, computers are right now in the billions of transistors. And so it's like this whole, the, the, this is like the credit and like, like the infancy of like computers. I don't know how like, like you, you would have certain computers that would have like thousands of tubes in them. And like the old day of like debugging, mm-hmm. let's call it code or debugging a computer, is bugs would literally get into these computers because they were warm. Right. They'd get into these computers and then they would just like kind of short something out. And so you're literally debugging the physical computer. And so that's the thing. And then like I couldn't imagine having to go around and do all the maintenance and all this other stuff on them. And it was actually credited to a lot of women. A lot of women were really the technicians. I don't know why. I don't know um, how that came to be, but you kind of get into like a lot of these like great women were like some of the first and very early computer scientists and computer maintenance people um, who really helped that whole sector grow. And so, and they would be the ones who would go through and they'd write like all this like crazy, like physical hardware programming for all these. I don't, and then you get, you also have like, I don't know if you saw, um, there there was a movie about uh, Alan Turing's life. Um, I believe he was a mathematician in England. And there there's a movie about it, but, and it's essentially about them decoding um, the... German Nazis during World War II, they had this crazy machine. It's called the Enigma machine. And it would uh, encode and decode uh, cryptic messages. And they created this machine that every day, well, they fa- and they found like a certain pattern. And it was, if you know back then, I'm not going to say it right now on a podcast, but they had something they would always say at the end of these Nazi messages. If you've seen any message, you probably, if you've seen any movie, you probably know what it means, what it is. And they would use that message that these German people would always, these military members would say back and forth. And they would use that as what the code of the day was. Hmm. And uh, that would help them like decode what these messages said. And they would use this machine that was all tube based that would decode these messages and then potentially save just hun- like hundreds of thousands of uh, allied um, service members in the war. And so it was, uh, 
I don't know how tubes do that because I only know tubes <laughs> is powered, but they, I believe, were then at that point using tubes as bits, as ones or zeros or yeses or nos. And so um, back into recording, however, you kind of get tubes as like, like they're driving power or they're helping out as, let's say, like, like limiting amplifiers, which as you put like a ratio on a limiting amplifier, you then you now created a compressor. And so you're, you, that's kind of like then kind of going into a bit of Sam's history. Um, these things are really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how like cathode ray tubes, like I know how like the display works, but I don't know how or why it has to be a tube. And I don't like like tube TVs. Like I know the power part of it, but I don't like the big tube that like triangulates out to the back of the TV. I don't know how the heck that makes a picture. Yeah. And it's like it is just so crazy. At least I don't know, at least to me. I, I like looking at like all this like old tech and all that stuff. It's great. But yeah, and so then now we're into transistors and then you get into like the whole solid state realm. And the funniest part of all this to me is like you were saying in the 70s and 80s and 90s I got like all these burps and I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. In the 70s, 80s and 90s and early 2000s a lot of people are transferring over to this solid state thing and it was all and it's funny because before that everyone was trying to use these tubes to get the like the quietest signal path. Right. And these tubes are just notoriously not quiet and there always was a tone and stuff like that. And one of the favorite things like looking back at these old documentaries like Sound City and uh, Muscle Shoals and all that stuff is when they play some of the songs that came out of these places to like Sound City. I think that at the beginning they do like 20 or 30 clips mm-hmm. of, um, I think it was like Dave Grohl was the one who said, like, holy shit, how many people have made records here? <laughs> and like they're just playing like all these bands that like kind of came off this early Neve console that they had bought. And you kind of, like if you kind of listen every single one of these bands that's a, like like polarizingly different than the one another they all kind of have this same underlying tone to it mm-hmm. and that was kind of like the whole premise of the 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 show was like well then it kind of gets into Dave Grohl and his like commercial for his record that he put out at the <laughs> end of it but um kind of like the whole like this is the vibe of this of this one console. I don't believe like like no console was like like that like that console's not like tube powered or anything but no. Um so like but like getting into solid state a lot of people were kind of getting away from tubes because they wanted cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And so that's kind of when you go from the whole evolution from reel to reel to vinyl and reel to reel is cool cuz it's so dang darn dynamic. And then vinyl, it's like everyone's like, oh, but you can hear like, like, uh, what was it called? Like surface noise or whatever they call yeah. it. And, and I saw one vinyl engineer, uh, an older vinyl engineer, he's like, surface noise, that's like the sound of life. And so then it goes from vinyl <clears throat> to, there are like a few intermediary like kind of things, but uh, into cassettes. 
as like the major like consumption. And then you're going into CDs. And it's like, I know like you have like micro discs and like all those other things. I, I'm not talking about that. And then you're going into MP3s. And I remember as a kid kind of watching this evolution and everyone's like, when the CD came out, everyone's like, listen to how quiet it is. You don't have any surface noise. And everyone was like really amazed by it. And then going into, then ironically, the next step was like MP3s. And, uh, now you kind of have like the resurgence of vinyl and everything and you have the resurgence of tubes and analog like 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 valve driven gear and now it's like insanely expensive to get a hold of where like if you would have bought it back then it probably would have been a little bit uh more affordable um but everyone is now the irony is now everyone is trying to get that more tuby, warm, driven sound mm -hmm. that everyone back then was trying to get as far as they could away from. Right. And so it's like whether it was like tube driven, then like like messing around with like inductors instead. Um, I kind of view like inductors as like little tiny transformers, like little tiny magnet kind of things. But um, I know it's not what they are, but kind of like like the evolution kind of away from tubes. Um <laughs> Hi, Biggie. Um, <laughs> like yeah, I love this history. I love where we're going. I love what we're doing. And uh, I want to talk more about it. Do you like <laughs> tubes, Sam? I love tubes. <clears throat> I um, Tell me a little bit about like what you use, what you have used, if there's anything you've used that you don't really care for. Yeah. Like good yeah, tubes, yeah, bad. Yeah, like, yeah, like, you don't have to get into like yeah, models of tubes, but like just like the general sound. Do you prefer solid state like or tubes? Do you like does each have its own place? Yes. Kind of like what's your my what's your MO on my the practical deal? guide to tubes and solid state? Dude, they make like in the winter, they make a great space heater. They do. It's the most expensive space heater you can ever buy. And in the summer, <laughs> it's just like maintain. a sweat box. <laughs> um, so take take the wains. Everything you just said to me, honestly, it was fascinating. Like you gave me one of the best history lessons on tubes that I've ever heard. It was so uh, it was actually horrible. To I gotta like find like all these like resources just to yeah yeah. Don't anyway, send them to you. I found it quite <clears throat> fascinating. So that was amazing, listener. You're welcome, Matt Garber's history. Um, okay, he here's let's talk about how I think about tubes and solid state first. Tubes to me are Traditionally in my head, I think warm, colorful, beefy. Solid state to me is more precise, edgy, forward, <clears throat> aggressive. That's kind of how I think about them sonically. So depending on what I'm doing or what the, the source is, kind of decides for me what I want to do with it. So if a song feels really gushy and round and, say, warm... I may not always lean towards tubes because that might be uh, amplifying via the tubes. Tubes give off even order harmonics, usually distortion. Solid state gives off odd harmonic distortions. Even is usually um, what our ears like. Uh, the even harmonic distortion basically is literally making harmonic distortion, so more sound off the root sound, um, which kind of sounds more full, and it fills up the sonic spectrum. Where solid state is usually mainly odd harmonics, um, which are very 
to me, like kind of, I'll describe it as like direct or it's like piercing mm-hmm. and kind of creates a more <clears throat> ear, I'll call it ear darty <laughs> sound, can. And this doesn't mean, the way I'm describing these almost, almost makes it sound like solid state's not as good as tube, which is not what I'm saying at all. They just kind of both, to me, in my opinion, have a very distinct sound and purpose. And for me, when I'm mastering or working on anything, I always, I feel like, and we've preached on the podcast, like, you got to know your tools. You have to have your tool belt out uh, and ready to go and know how to essentially troubleshoot any mix that comes your way, because you're going to get hundreds of mixes from different mixers and even mixes from the same mixer, different songs. So if I get a song that is overly round feeling and warm and thick and dense, going to tubes will probably exaggerate that even more and it could start to get kind Mm. of fuzzy feeling or not as impactful. It could even just become distorted. You can get clipping from it. Um, you know, tubes clip, everything clips in theory at some point if you give it enough gain, but tubes kind of clip. Um, And then on the other side of it, if I get something that feels very clean, sterile, and kind of like digital is how most people would describe it, which probably isn't the correct word because there's plenty of in-the-box records that sound quote-unquote analog, uh, in my opinion. Um, But if something feels kind of lifeless and thin... Uh, tubes can just do a great job of adding those even harmonics, which make things sound very kind of big and and full and rich and kind of create new... Literally, it's creating new sonic content that wasn't there. Um, and you have emulation plugins that that do this, but I find the outboard gear to just do it 10x better. And I would literally say 10x better. Like, <laughs> tube, tube emulation... This isn't saying plugins are or outboards 10x better in general but with something like a tube versus a tube emulation i've never heard a plugin um that really does tube stuff well outside of i'm just going to say it briefly but i'm not going to get into it the you know we matt and i were talking about the saturn plugin which some people love and some people hate but it it to me has some of the most uh correct tube i'll say sounding stuff and I'll just leave that at that because that's not this episode. But, um, but yeah, it's um, real tube gear is super special. And if you've ever used it or heard it, um, you, in my opinion, just fall in love with it instantly because it sounds like a lot of the records you like. <laughs> and even a lot of the bigger records that come out now are still usually going to a mastering place that's using outboard gear. Like a lot of the big box, like Sterling, and when I say big box, it's not disrespectful, but the bigger established places, they still have a mess of gear. And a lot of those guys still swear by the Mm -hmm. tubes they use, you know, like Bob Ludwig at Gateway still swears by his massive passive. So that's my segue. I have a massive passive, the silver face, which is what Bob Ludwig likes. And I like his records. But Massive Passive is probably my favorite tube thing that exists outside of, if we're talking gear, like the Manly Reference, once again, Manly, Manly, <laughs> both are Manly. Um, the Manly Reference mic, which is what I use to record the podcast, is a tube mic. And I feel like it's one of the best tube mics out there. Um, so I love the Massive Passive. It has something with the low, low mids. <laughs> excuse me, that I think is unmatched um, with what it does to that. 
um, forwardness. It also has an insanely, uh, the more I've used, I mean, I've used it now for like five years, but there's like a 1K thing to 2K or 3K, I have to look, but I think it's like 1.2K. It has a way of bringing out vocals and guitars that is unmatched to me. If you want to, if someone's like, I think we need the vocal louder, I can just click it with a boost. Mm. Um, and the vocal just sounds like it pops out as forward as you want or wherever you want to place it without really impacting anything else. So I really like the Manly. I'm obsessed with Tube Tech. I've used all sorts of Tube Tech stuff. Um, I love the Tube Tech LCA 2B, which we've talked about before. It's a compressor and a limiter. It's their take on a Fairchild mixed with like an LA 2A. Um, it has the exact Fairchild um, attack and release settings. Um, which are kind of iconic, the speeds of those. And that's uh, that's a really cool piece of gear. It can be really transparent, and you can take like 6 dB off to 8 and not even, in my opinion, quote-unquote, hear it. Just makes things sound bigger and fuller um, because of the tubes creating the harmonics. And obviously, with limiting and compressing, you're making things more loud more often. So stuff is getting louder overall on average. Um, so those are my two, like, to be honest, that is like, I've whittled down all my tube. That's like the only tube stuff I own now at this stage. And then I own a ton of solid state stuff. Um, because I feel like solid state stuff all sounds kind of, kind of different, honestly, from, from solid state to solid state. I feel like tubes kind of sound similar to me. Obviously, if you swap the type of tube, which is a whole other conversation of types of tubes and the way they sound. Um, but solid state stuff, I mean, I'll just quickly run through like Poltex. I have solid state Poltex. They're super clean. They're super punchy, super edgy is really the word edgy and aggressive. They're upfront sounding. Um, I have the overstayer MAS, which is a solid state. It uses VCA chips. It sounds like tape transistors. Um, it's super clean, kind of sounds like an SSL console. I have pair of 1176 um, Universal Audio URI limiters. Um, they're solid state. They're FET. They sound super kind of aggressive as well. Um, you know, I have a Lisa Expressor, which is their Class A compressor. It's solid state. It can do a mess of things. I could go down the list of all the gear. But for the most part, like, I use tubes kind of to do I'll say one thing, which is great vibe, warmth, density, and thickness. That's kind of how I use tubes. Um, I feel like with solid state, I can get a lot more creative um, in theory with sculpting and shaping and boosting. Um, I feel like they're more surgical, and I feel like tubes are more kind of, the the wrong word's probably destructive, but I'll, I'll say destructive in that they really seem to change things if you want to. So that's kind of how I... Use tubes as some of the gear I like, some of the solid state stuff. Um, you know, it's tubes are often much more expensive too because a tubes are expensive, but tubes use a transformer, an output transformer, and solid state doesn't. So the output transformer is usually very expensive, which is why tube gear is often more expensive uh, than solid state stuff. Basically, solid state is just cheaper to make, which doesn't mean it's not as good, but the components are cheaper. Um, but in theory, solid state is actually probably more um, reliable and requires less maintenance. 
Um, but yeah, I find that tubes just really handle peaks and transients um, really well. And as far as like making those things sound nice and round. Um, and I feel like tubes also kind of have a sweet spot. Um, and if you push it too loud, then it starts crackling, which is kind of anything. But that's kind of my quick and dirty, quick and dirty <laughs> view of how I use tubes and whatnot in solid state gear. Matt, what about you? What do you like about I tubes? I wouldn't you got necessarily tubes? say that solid state's less expensive. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you I can totally it get on it. what you're buying. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's like the name on the front of something's going to totally like drive up like the price and the value of something as well. Um, but it's like high quality solid state parts, I think, are, um, can be better than like some of the, some of the tube equipment. It just, I think it's more just like kind of like what the project calls for and whatnot. Yeah. Um, as far as my rig is concerned, like the only tube stuff that I have right now, I've gotten pretty much rid of everything else besides my manly stuff. I mean, the very muse, like, think of like the thickest butter in the world, and it's just like smoothing that over a mix, and it's just really, really nice. I like it a lot. It's I do like I pretty much do like a ton of indie stuff, and I love that. But even if you just have rock and like you're just not hitting the, you're not hitting the detection circuit, and you just kind of like boost the output of it. It's just like this nice just thickness that just really just nicely saturates um, the mix. And it's not like in like an audible saturation, like a, like, I don't know, I call that, I call that like when it like, it like squeaks or pops or any of that crap. I call that tube farts. <laughs> um, it doesn't fart, but it's just this, just this nice like even harmonic that just, really just boosts up some like aggressive parts where you can just kind of drive into them. Or it's like if you do hit that detection circuit, then you can really just glide over and just glass over a few things. Um, as far as that Verimu is concerned, I, well, first of all, I always, I, I love Verimus. I think they just have like a, like a, nor, most of them have like a certain kind of a sound or like a 3D effect that it also does as well. Um, for mastering, and as far as mastering is concerned, I kind of think, and this is like if you do buy mainly very Mew, there's like all of these like different mods that they have on them. They have like the T-Bar and the High Pass and the MS. I think that's pretty much it. Um, I explain this a lot, I feel like, in writing, so I guess I'll just say it. I don't really feel like for like the mastering versions that like the T-Bar, unless it just comes stock in it, I don't really feel like it's like a necessary mod because the only reason for the T-Bar mod is they used to run off 6386 tubes mm -hmm. and now they don't because they're insanely difficult to find now. And if you do find them, they're just like incredibly expensive. And so the tube that they switched to, from what I understand, when you go over 60B of gain reduction, the current tube in it, can get like a little bit farty and a little bit crunchy as opposed to just like keep on compressing where like the 6386 would just like compress smoothly for days. Well, the T-Bar mod allows that tube to kind of keep pushing 
And that's at least, and it kind of maintains a lot of the compression style that the 6386 had, um, which I've used those before in another compressor, and I can talk about that later. But you have that one. I, I honestly don't think it's worth it if you're mastering, because I like if you're going over 6 dB, then I'm not saying you can't do it, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's kind of unique, and mm -hmm. it's a unique situation if that were to be the case. Um, it's more saved for like a like let's say like mixing or some some other like tracking type of thing. Um, so, but you know, to each his own. If you want to compress six dB, then you know <laughs> more loud, more often, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so neither here nor there on that. Um, the MS one, I I don't really use MS compression a lot, and I'm going to kind of shoot myself in the foot because technically my high frequency limiter is. MS and it, it can do that. I don't really use the MS feature in it that much. I sometimes do, but and technically the high frequency limiter kind of would be a compressor, but neither here nor there. Once again, um, I don't think the MS feature is a big selling point unless you really use MS. I don't use MS on compression, and if I do, it's because I want to screw something up. But I rarely do want to screw something up, so I don't use it. But if you got something really crazy, it's like, listen, man, I, I, I get it. I understand the point of it. Um, I think the only mod that really is worth it and the mod that every single mastering compressor should have as a stock feature is a high-pass um, sidechain filter. And so it's like you just flip that in. It just lets the low end do what it's going to do, especially for like a very like a manly Varimu. It's such a dang slow compressor that it's like as soon as like the low end hits it, it just like like there, there's nothing there anymore unless you just really need to control the whole the whole the whole mix. But normally, it's like you don't really want any of that other stuff. Um, <clears throat> that's really the only thing I think that's kind of like really 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 worth it. But if you're into the other stuff, then then go for that. Um, that and then the massive passive. Sam has the mixing version of the massive passive, and he absolutely loves it. Um, I have the mastering version, and the only difference that I know of is the pots are just a little bit different, and even um, like like they're not really even pots on the mastering version. It's just like little tiny ball bearings that, like, I'm assuming this little cup that's attached to the switch switch kind of jumps over. And so it's kind of swept, it's kind of not. And so is it worth it? I don't know. I'm kind of like really anal. Um, Sam, you're probably also really anal, but I'm really <laughs> anal. And when I say, yeah, this is three clicks and I want to know exactly like where this is and I want like as best of recall as I can, not saying that, Sam, you don't achieve that. I'm sure you do. Your masters are freaking sick, so... Sick, I'm sure though. you achieve perfect recall every time. <laughs> so, but like, 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 and I pretty much like call the very mute. I'm sorry, I call the massive pass of the mid machine, and like the center two bands are pretty much all I use on it. And it's like it's always just freaking killer. Like I, I absolutely love it. And it's funny because the frequencies I use do not work with any other EQ, and I don't mm -hmm. know why. But it just, it just like. It's just money. Like, like as soon as you get one, you'll just you'll just be like, yeah, I'll make this money back real quick because <laughs> my stuff's gonna be sounding fine. 
Um, on the other side of that, the the solid state side, and the direct comparison is the uh, to the massive passive that I have is the Masslick, the MEA two, the Precision Stereo Equalizer. I use that sucker in MS all the time. I love how it sounds. I love the box tone of it. It is clean, but it's got a cool 3D effect that it has to it. Um, never open it because you'll see what, like, if you're like really, like, you open up a massive passive, you're like, yeah, that's what I spent all that money on. You open up a MEA2 and you're like, what? The most of this is blank space. But you know what? The blank space between the front and back panel where all the stuff happens. That blank space is going to leave you um, a really darn quiet uh, signal path, and it's a lot of separation between um, the power source and um, where the signal is going to be flowing through. And so, that's kind of nice to have. So, if you ever open one, you'll probably cry and you'll be like, "Why did I spend this much money on it?" Then you'll kind of start using, and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm never getting rid of this thing." So, I like it a lot, and it's like. There is a guy who like asked this question, like massive passive or Masslick, and I responded to it pretty much like the massive passive is kind of like a holy grail kind of thing, and like if you need to make these massive broad adjustments, you can totally do that. But like a Masslick's kind of like a sharpshooter, and it's like like point and shoot. It's like I want a louder, um, I want a louder vocal. Bam, you can do that. It's like, man, I really wish this kick was like a little bit like thwackier. And it's like, oh, boop, 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 bam, you're done. And it's like literally just like a point and shoot. Like if you can like see it and if you know how to get to it, you can do it no problem. As far, like besides like the manly stuff, everything else is solid state. The foot control system stuff, incredibly transparent. Um, the API stuff I have, API has a sound, but it's just like Thwack City. Or like you can like dial up the release to like really, really, really slow release and just kind of like down some of the settings. And it can just be this like fantastic, just um, just really nice and kind of smooth kind of bus compressor like it was. Like it was intended to be like the bus comp compressor on a board. And so if you need that, that's what that, that's what that does. Um, but API, I mean, totally has a tone. But it's like the thwack machine. Um, like the Rupert Neves, the MP, what is it? The MVP. Mm -hmm. It's like, they should really just tile it like the MVP because it's just like, if you need a problem solved, this thing can kind of do it. If you want some tone, if you want some love, if you need like the stereo field to do something kind of weird, even if you need some compression. I don't use the compressor a lot, but if you need it, it's there. Um, the only thing about it that kind of is weird is I can hear the compression before it meters on the meter. And that's kind of annoying to me. Um, and then all my other like high frequency stuff that I use is all solid state. My whole little vocal chain for all of this stuff is solid state. Um, I use a GML uh, transformerless pre for my vocal, and then I used to use a Neumann TLM like 103 um, a while ago, and then recently I just like. I can always just have like one of these like electro voice microphones just kind of sitting by the side of my desk, collect dust all day, and then pull it up. I don't have to worry about like it's like really humid in South Carolina, so I don't have to worry about I don't know. I don't know if capsules oxidize, but I'd like kind of like have to know metallurgy a little bit for like my other job. And so it's like if two metals come together, do like weird things happen? And so um yeah, and so it's like 
was like, I kind of have to know like oxidation just a touch. And I was like, well, I can leave this electric voice out and it can get as beat up as it wants because these things hang out on radio stations. <laughs> Plus it makes your voice sound nice and sultry. I think, Sam, do you put like a high pass on my voice? Yeah. Yeah, so y'all don't actually get the full experience, but you could. The radio, Matt. <laughs> Tune in today to Matt Radio. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I just use this because I can just sit by the side of my desk and I really don't feel like doing a lot of setup anymore. And then just the GML pre, and then that goes through my backbone. <laughs> uh, yeah, to my computer. Anyway, um, but yeah, different strokes for different folks, and it's just about like kind of how clean you want stuff to be. And uh, yeah, as far as like downsides on tubes, and I, and what real quick, Sam, where are you on time? I'm good. We can keep chatting. Okay, I maybe have like I don't know. I'll I'll shoot you a text when I figure out how much more time I got. Yeah, it's fine. Um, as far as bad things with tubes, whenever you turn on a piece of gear. And this is like all gear. I'd suggest you let all gear warm up. Um, normally, like little pamphlets will say like 15 or 30 minutes. I let this stuff warm up for quite a while. And I say don't use it till the chassis is hot, but that's going to that's gonna take a darn while. But whenever you do turn tubes on, you can't always anticipate on exact recall points. And so you can... But it's like if I turn on my very Mew and it was like, I don't know, I probably went 1K tone through it at minus 20 and it might maybe come at like minus 20.5 one day. And, it, and it's like I always, I always run like a tone through stuff, just at least my tubes to see where all the stuff's kind of hanging out. Like the next day, I could be minus 21.5 and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Or it's like a VC, like like kind of like a big sway, and there's like a permissible amount that you need to be fine with it doing, um, and so when stuff kind of starts to get a little weird, is when like one channel could be unbalanced from another channel, and that's kind of when you can be like, all right, I need to take this apart. And with me, it's like I know just enough to break it so it doesn't turn on again, and so I normally have to call someone to help me fix it, um, and then. Uh, yeah, but like another cool thing is like, and I used to do this for a while, is like I would pull out either my massive passive or the very mew, and I used to like dial um, some of like the input circuit up by like 0.5 dB. So it's like even if I didn't want to use it, but I just wanted some of the sauce, you just like push it, you just push the buttons in until you're driving through the input of the tubes by 0.5 and then it's like you just pop out so it's like you don't even need it but you're just kind of like just running through it yeah and i mean that's with all tube gears like the box tone's just sick but you can run into like some issues and stuff so if you run into stuff like where you're having to like change tubes and you're like ah crap this isn't working that well today um yeah i've changed tubes before but i usually um I don't know. I've I think I've had really good luck in that. Like, mm -hmm. my tubes just like completely die on me in theory. <laughs> like, it, it's very clear when my tubes are off or bad. I feel like, mm -hmm. and so I just swap them out. I've only swapped my massive passive uh, one time, um, in like five years, which is kind of wild. Dang. I don't know how that works, honestly, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> 
they've lasted a long time and I test tone them out and stuff to make sure they're both sides are good and I don't have any issues. The tube techs I've replaced, I think twice. Um, Here's another question. Yes. What do you turn your gear off every evening? Oh yeah. Because I always get people say, "Oh, I never turn my gear off." Then you have other people who are like, "Yeah, I turn it off every night." And so I'm always curious because it's like, if there's a personal preference side and there's like another. Do you have any reason for that? Or? Uh, my reasoning is I actually AB'd um, many, many moons ago. Maybe I should do it again, but I did a test on a song with the Massive Passive, basically like with like a 20-minute warm-up and then like five hours and then an overnight when I first got it. And I couldn't hear a difference. So... Hmm. Maybe there was, but I didn't notice any difference. I find the mass passive to sound the same always up until like yeah. the tubes go weird. Even if it's only been on for like two minutes, um, I don't notice a sonic difference between like two minutes and three hours into my day. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I I turn everything off at night because I like to save electricity. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and it makes my gear obviously last longer. Um, I know like a lot of guys don't turn off like consoles and stuff just because sometimes they don't turn back on. Because <laughs> they're old. <laughs> like the SSL computer center console is super uh, temperamental. So a lot of guys don't turn it off because it won't pop on the next day. So mm. um, so I think that was kind of, it, in my opinion, in Nashville, that's why people, dudes leave their gear on. It's more so because sometimes it doesn't turn back on correctly. <laughs> more mm. than they're like, oh, the sound is just better. I think it's more mm. of a preventative of, I have a session tomorrow and I don't want to risk having to get a tech in here to troubleshoot a 1970s something. So um, sure. that's my hot take on it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've thankfully never really had issues with my tubes like really putting me in a tough spot. I've had more issues with my eye lock going down. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's better ways to skin that cat these days than the eye lock. Yeah. The dongle. So I normally, if I have a pretty busy week, and this sounds silly, but you got to stick with me on it. Yeah. If I have a pretty busy week and there's no inclement weather, so like thunderstorms, uh, if it's a dry week, I'll normally leave my stuff on all week, especially if I'm busy. I have a reason for that. I normally get in pretty early, and I like to get right to work. I don't want to yeah. have to wait for gear to warm up. I like it like warm when I get there. Um, so if I was if I were doing this full time, it's like yeah, first thing I would do is I would go into the studio, I'd turn everything on, I'd go make a cup of coffee, go and you know schmooze, do emails, <laughs> and then I'd hop into it. But um, that's not really my reality. And so normally I'll leave stuff on. So like I have a nineteen song record I am starting in the morning, and so I don't want to have to wait when I'm staring down the barrel of that. Right. And so um, I'll leave. These things, I'll leave everything on. Um, uh, over the weekend, though, like I'm leaving on Friday, um, I'll turn everything off. Yeah. So I do have everything running through a pretty beefy uh, power situation. And so I'm pretty confident in that. But 
I mean, like Thunder and Lightning are going to do what Thunder and Lightning are going to do. Um, the one thing that I know some people will leave gear on for is because the, there's the argument of does cycling tubes on and off shorten their lifespan? And so you have a glass tube um, that's a vacuum and then you heat it and then you cool it and then you heat it and then you cool it and then you heat it and then you cool it. And so in theory over time, that could take a little bit of a strain on things. Um, and that's kind of the reason why I think some people will leave their stuff on, especially tube-based stuff. With solid-state stuff, it's like you're pretty darn good to do whatever you want with it. Um, so pre it's for the most part, maintenance-free. I don't think I've, knock on wood, I don't think I've sent a piece of solid-state stuff in. I've sent the Hilo in, but that's when I was having weird things with like, the AD, and that was more like just me being disgruntled than there was an issue with it. But besides that, it's like the Neve's getting like up there to where it's like, yeah, I might want to send this back. But it's so like instrumental sometimes in what I do that I might ask them for a, like a loner piece just like while that's there and then kind of do the old switcheroo. So, and I think they will do that unless like you're around like NAM or something, they're taking all their stuff with them. Um, but yeah, besides that, I think that's kind of my whole tube thing. Do we have anything else? Uh, I don't think so. I feel like we covered a nice range of a tube overview for solid state. Is there any piece of tube gear you would like to acquire? API. Oh, the new stuff? I want to try it out, yeah. I don't know if I want to acquire it, but I want to try it out this year for sure. I don't have any interest. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious about the uh, tube compressor. Hmm. Um, I don't even know if I'd use it for mastering. It's not necessarily a mastering compressor, but I like API a lot. Um, I use API previews here on stuff, and I just am, I'm more so curious about what is API's take on tube. Because they're traditionally, yeah. like, I don't want to say they're the definition of solid state, because obviously you have SSL, which is solid state logic in their name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but API, to me, almost embraces solid state sound more yeah. than SSL does. Um, mm -hmm. As far as, like, if I was to tell you what solid state sounds like, I'd probably lean towards API. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. With, like, the definition of it. But that's just my opinion. I also love SSL stuff. I have that, too. Um, but yeah, that would be that's like the only thing this year I'm really curious about trying out, which I'll probably just demo a pair, or rent something, rent them from Vintage, uh, not Vintage, but Blackbird. There you go. So, you know, try before I buy. Uh, um, I had, yeah, what about you? I had that like that, that knife or niff very mute yes. compressor. That was all tube-based. It was the cleanest Verimu I have ever heard in my life. And when I think Verimu, I think like kind of tone. And I kind of wanted the tone. And it was just super clean. Um, and I have a few records that I did with it. And I listened back and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good sounding compressor. But it's like, it wasn't the tone I wanted. And so that was a... that was. Luckily, back then they were they were pretty quick sell. I think they're still a pretty quick sell. He actually discontinued those. I think he's using all those tubes for his. What did he say? I think his name's Jonte. 
He d- he's using all like those tubes, I guess, for his synthesizer that he has, that like NIF or Nifeorium. Yep. And so I had that. Had the IGS Varimu. That was a cool compressor. That was a great compressor. It was like, like you could get like the essence of like tube compression with that. Just like the customer service and everything just kind of sucked. Yeah. And I was like, man, if I'm ever like up the creek, like I am definitely without a paddle. And so, um, something I, two things I do want to try that are tube. I want to try that knife or NIF, whatever the guy's name is. I want to try the Soma, that tube EQ. Yeah. Um, he's got, he's just like a, that guy's just like a genius. I also think Plugin Alliance is coming out with a plugin for that in February. So I think it's actually out for people who have the subscription thing. And that would, uh, I'm not going to get the subscription, but I might demo it. Um, but the other tube thing I want, well, I already said I want, like in a previous episode, I want, I want to try one of those like ear, EAR, esoteric yes, audio research. Those are dope. I want to try one of those. It's kind of like, I think it's like a Pultec kind of a thing. Um, I want to try one of those really, really, really bad. And then I really want to try one of those Magic Death Eye compressors. Ian, if you're out there, the Magic <laughs> Death Eye guy, I want one. Please hook me up. I don't need a price reduction. I just want one. That dude, no joke, just like sends out an email at like 5.26 p.m. on a Sunday. And he's like, hey, if anyone wants one, here they are. It's a stereo version, $8,800, first come, first serve. Sends it out to a list. You have to be on a list. And then like three minutes later, he sends out another email, sold. And it's like, either you get it or you don't. It's like, oh, man. It's like the perfect way to like make people feel <laughs> like, like not make people feel left out, but like, oh. Uh, it's like the perfect way just to like sell something. And it's like it, it's like you just kind of trust the universe that it gets into the right hands. But I would love to try one. I'd love to try anything that dude makes. You see like some of the custom stuff he makes yeah. for himself and you're just like you're like, oh crap, I just drooled on my <laughs> on my rig over here. You're like just kind of like looking at all the stuff he does. He also made a solid state tube. This is the perfect way to end it. <laughs> he has on his Instagram, he made a he made a tube. That has a, a like a, a PCB circuit board in it that emulates, I believe, a sixty three eighty six tube, but it plugs into the tube jack. It's a retrofit tube. It plugs into the tube jack on the back of a piece of gear, and it emulates or and does the same compression type stuff that a sixty three eighty six tube does. It's like this dude's like a freaking genius. Like I gotta have him make me something. So. Ian, if you're out there, if on the off chance you're an Attack and Release Show listener, we got chat. <laughs> so, anywho, I think that's all we got. That's I it. gotta go. You gotta go. I gotta go. We gotta go to dinner. So, if you hear a sweet tube-based beat queuing up from the background of the podcast, that is made by the one and only Sam Moses, and he does all that stuff. That goodness at beesabeats.com. You can just go over there. You can buy something. You can just chill out and just listen to it for an afternoon, whatever you want to do. Um, if you are in any, in any need of a mastering engineer, Sam and I would love to be of assistance to you. Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. Uh, we respond pretty much all the time on Instagram. And if you email us, I'm, Sam will probably get back to you. I hate email. <laughs> 
I'll respond. <laughs> yeah. I, normally, I'll just forward emails on to Sam. Um, but yeah, feel free to email us and I'll forward them on to Sam. And uh, yeah, if, but like I said, if you need a record mastered, we would love to be that resource for y'all. And uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind leaving us some likes, comments, stars, sharing this wherever you are, whatever social media platform you're on, that would be absolutely perfect. And yeah, I think that's all I got. You got anything else? That's it. Sweet. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. See y'all in the next episode. Bye. Okay, goodbye. Am I cueing music? Did I not cue the music? I don't think you cued it, did you? Cue the tube music. Cueing the tube music. (laughs) See y'all.